Jimmy Lewis, and this is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, the dirt bike podcast where we talk about motorcycle and motorcycle related products. Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, show number 30. This is the show where you can learn about things. Logan's my co host, and we talk about fuel filters, the right size bikes, tubes and mooses, other tire issues, jetting FI motorcycles, and so much more. You really got to listen to the show. This show is brought to you by... Climb has been with this show since the beginning, and I really appreciate that. What I like even better is that the gear is super awesome. I've been wearing it since the beginning. Uh, It's evolved a bunch. It's very durable, um, really good fitting. They have features on their gear that are pretty much uh, industry-leading, and I appreciate that because that's what I wear when I get to do fun stuff and I'm comfortable and I like almost everything that they make. So if you are looking for a change of gear or you're looking for the best gear, I think uh, you won't be disappointed by trying climb. So give them a look along with DDC racing. That's Delaney drive components. They're makers of very, strong, durable, chromoly, chrome-plated sprockets. If you've seen these things, they look like Swiss cheese. They're super light for a steel sprocket. They last forever. They come with a one-year warranty, and they are built by riders who really care about keeping riding areas open. So if you're interested in some good drive systems parts, check out ddcracing.net. That's Delaney Drive Components. And... Taco Moto. So you've heard us talk about Taco Mike on the show. He's been a guest host a few times. Taco Moto Co., that's how you find them on the web, sells a lot of the kind of cool and unique tuning products that you need to get your emissions compliant bike running up to snuff. So if you have questions, he has answers, and he can also sell you the stuff. So if we can't answer the question here, which we hope we can. Maybe he can answer the question over there, and he can also sell you the parts that you might need to get your especially KTM or Husky dual sport bike uh, running like a champ. Anyways, it's tacomoto.co. Now, here's the show. So live from Pahrump, what what is this show called? The Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. And you're going to make noise and play with that pen. So he talks more now, but now he's getting fidgety. Uh, This is Jimmy Lewis. That's Logan Tyler. Uh, We are your hosts for Tech Talk, where Logan promises to answer four out of ten questions that we received tonight without referring to a reference manual, right? All right. All right. So... um, I'm sure that everybody has some sort of question that they uh, want answered. And the first one, of course, is, Logan, what kind of tequila are we drinking today? No idea. Don't drink that. Yeah, that's good. And I'm not drinking it either because I'm going to get in a, uh, in a in my motorhome and drive up to the uh, KTM Adventure Rider Rally up in Colorado. So um, no tequila for me tonight. I'm going to keep it on the, uh, uh, the stay awake. I'm going to run the bull, the Red Bull. So, uh, 
That's good. Oh, here we go. Questions are starting to pour in. Um, so no tequila, Sean. Sorry about that. Uh, next week, I'm sure we'll try to fix that problem. Uh, Dimitri, and uh, you know what? We needed to get you a computer so you could see the so you could see the questions. That would help too, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because you could pronounce these names because I can't <laughs> um, figure out. So Danny and Anzanello. That's what I think it's called. I've got an old dog of a 2005 Sierra 450R that is heavily modified for woods and long distance work. Giant tank, comfy seat, etc. Would it be a problem for a tour of Idaho with a carburetor and all these elevation changes? Um, also, you guys got to play with the new KTM 150 TPI, but I haven't heard much about it. A good all-around bike for a lighter rider. Okay, so you've got two questions there, Dan- uh, Dimitri. Uh, I'll answer the first one first. So would a CR450R um, be good for the Tour of Idaho? No, <laughs> not an R. Um, and the reason for that is mostly because of the uh, number one, the transmission. Uh, you have a motocross gearbox, short ratio transmission. Am I right, Logan? Yes. Yes. Um, and number two, the power delivery is pretty abrupt and aggressive for especially when you get in the tight technical parts that where you would need um, that low first gear. And then all of a sudden you have a snappy power band. And so that kind of just throws that bike out of the water for that. Um, so the carburetor is really not a problem. The elevation changes aren't that great in the tour. I know you do get up to close to 10,000, but I think you're always up around at least three, you know, so it's not a huge, I mean, it'll run a little bit bad at the high altitudes, but um, I could see doing it on a carburetor bike, but not that bike, <laughs> not a motocross bike, not any motocross bike. In fact, it's not just your Honda. If somebody said they were going to do it on a KTM SX, even though it was fuel injected, I'd say that's a mistake because of the transmission ratios, because if you gear it so that first gear becomes usable in the small few times that you're really going to need that first gear, um, so you don't fry your clutch, so you don't overheat the bike, then when you're going down those long sections of uh, fire roads and some little highway transfer sections and stuff, you're going to be hating it. And then your fuel economy goes out the window and all the kinds of stuff like that. So um, uh, carburetor is not the issue. Transmission is the issue. Uh, <laughs> so, and you could always, uh, not on that bike, you wouldn't want to change the needle. I mean, ju- actually adjust it while you were riding. So um, not very easy to do so. Uh, yes. And also you guys got to play with a new KTM TPI 150, but I haven't heard much about it. Is it a good all around bike for a lighter rider? Yes. Think so? Uh, sure. Sure. (laughs) Um, I'm a heavier rider and I rode it and I had a good time. I think they set that thing up for the 160 pound ish, uh, rider, but, um, I, I've, I've always been a fan of the KTM 200 and I kind of miss that bike. And the reason is, is because I like the small light bike, re, you know, high revy nature and stuff, but the 200 still has quite a bit of torque, but I was still pretty impressed with the amount of torque the uh, 150 had. I think we talk about it a little bit in our, um, in our uh, riding impression of the TPI bikes, uh, probably ever so slightly, but, uh, that, um, I think if you're lighter, you're not going to miss the torque that the that the 200 that I need on the 200 for when when I'm riding. Um, it's like Logan when you get on your 120. Have you ridden your 125? Uh, only from Johnny's to here. Okay, just up and to down, up and down the street a little bit, and yep. you didn't and you didn't blow it up. No. 
Okay. Did it feel like it had a lot of torque? Not much. Not much? Compared to your 85? Yes. Okay. But not compared to the 250. Okay. Not compared to a 254 stroke? Yes. Okay. But it is a 125. Yeah. So that's a lot. Yeah, a lot less. So anyways, but yeah, um, I think you'll, I think you'll like the, uh, I think you'd like the, the 150 for a lighter guy. Um, definitely not a CR450, that's for sure. So Victor, question. Do the gasoline with added ethanol will make more rust in a carb compared to an old non E15 gas in a bike that you don't use a lot? Uh, okay, I'm going to decipher this question. Do you want to translate for me? What's the, what's the question? He wants to know if it'll if the if the ethanol gas is worse than the old non-ethanol gas. What's the answer? Uh Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. Good. That's that's uh, that's one. You're on your way. <laughs> Actually, we'll give you the answer. The, you answered the, the the torque question on the 125 pretty good. So you got two out of ten so far. And I think. Well, no. Actually, I've asked him two other things. You say, they give me any I don't knows. Where are we at? I, you got to keep track. I'm just rattling my lips here. I mean, I'm just making my lips flap up and down and saying things. You got to keep track of all this stuff and apologize to people when we screw up. You can put your name on the list first. <laughs> um so uh the gasoline um with ethanol yes it is bad the reason it is bad is because it attracts water and and then it also corrodes or it's hard on some of the materials it's bad on the fuel lines uh i haven't seen any benefits from it anybody know any benefits from ethanol and the gas anybody yeah more uh hot, more octane a little bit more octane. Yes? More money. More money. For for for, for uh, corn farmers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's all about supporting the economy. Uh but not your your carburetor doesn't care about our economy and um uh if you don't use a bike uh actually grab that Tecron stuff over there. If you if you're not riding your bike a whole lot, I would suggest putting this stuff in it. Like, is that was that an ad read or what? <laughs> uh, we got to talk to them. Actually, uh, I got to talk to Chris Johnham because, yeah, they should probably put the Tecron in there if you're going to leave that fuel in there. I had really good success with that stuff. How many bikes do we have in the garage, Gabe? Like, there's how many? Did you start like twenty, twenty five, and they all started after sitting for four to six months. Um, with ethanol gas in them, unfortunately, because we can't get the clear gas out here, the ethanol gas. We could go to the airport probably and get some, you know, 100 octane, maybe. They don't have it out here? No. Why is it? Why is the no on that one? They, it's no good? The 100 low, it isn't good. Yeah, well, then we can't really get clear gas out here very easily. So, yeah, so we put that stuff in there. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't let it sit for very long. If you start it up every so often, it's pretty good. So what the ethanol does, what's, what I've been told it does, is it attracts the water. So it absorbs the water, and uh, then the water is in your gas, and it's real easy for it to get in there like when it's in the gas tank. Maybe not in a, in a humid, in a dry climate, but in humid climates, it's even more of a problem. And then when that water gets down in your carburetor and then the, the gas starts evaporating off, then the water starts uh, touching, attaching to stuff and uh, bad things, bad things happen. So, yeah. Um, yeah, don't use it. Uh, let's see. George. George and the Bartels are here from St. George. Uh, good. Yeah. 
Um, screen looks fuzzy. Clean the lens. No, your screen is fuzzy. <laughs> um, let's see. Nah, that CRF has a brick of a 12-ounce flywheel and steel valves and a recluse, so I run 1547. It works great. Thanks for the green light on the carb. Okay. I'm wrong. Uh, check me down. I'm, I told you I can answer 9 out of 10. Now i got to be perfect the rest of the night because he, he obviously had that figured out. Um, yeah, uh, as, long as, you're, as long as your carburetor is um, pretty good. Hey, uh, Chris Parker's out there. Uh, Chris uh, from Rottweiler Performance. He's missing us. His, he, he couldn't lock me in the dyno room, so I'm still, still alive. He's uh, probably also headed to the KTM Adventure Rally Rally we, Rider Rally, where he has a really mean KTM 690 that he's gonna show everybody. A bike that I I uh, hate. I'm known as a KTM 690 hater, so maybe you can try to convert me. Let's see. Talking about ethanol gas, Dimitri says, storing carbs carved bikes with stable in it or drain everything and store dry. No, no, no. Don't don't store them dry. I've not had any good luck with that, and here's. Here's the the reason is like when they when they dry out, especially when you've had ethanol gas in there, the rubber parts in there seem to get pretty brittle. Um, it do, they don't like to be wet and then dry and wet and then dry. And by wet, I mean wet with gas. That's what that Tecron stuff is for. I mean, there, there's I've had luck with uh, boy the stable stuff. Um, there was two or three things we were using before. We were trying different stuff, everything from two-stroke oil to stable, and then there was another one. It's another seafoam. Seafoam actually seemed like it was able to clean the carburetors a little bit. The stable actually seemed like it helped the gas a little bit, but nothing's been as good as that stuff, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, don't, don't store them dry, especially the newer, more modern carburetors, the pumper carburetors that have that pump diaphragm in there because it's, A, really hard to get that thing dry to begin with. And then when that's your last little bit of a gas in there and that evapor- evaporates out, it plugs up passages that you didn't even know existed inside that carburetor. So ultrasonic cleaner is all I can tell you. Buy an ultrasonic cleaner. <laughs> so... uh Okay, yeah. Uh, Brian C. England says, comparison of coolant. Uh, Lots of info on the internet, lots of marketing, but what's Jimmy's take on the value of stuff like engine ice or Evans or water wetter versus standard 50-50 peak coolant? My kid has a 2006 KTM 200 XCW. She's boiling on moderate days. Um which he says it's 70 degrees at 5,000 foot of elevation. It's jetted right, not slipping the hell out of the clutch, steady progress, a 1.8 bar cap, and new top end. So, man, that on that bike, um, uh, boiling is – I have one of those. I have a – what's what's mine? A 2005, I think. And it rarely – I don't even have a cooling fan on that one, and I use it for setting up King of the Motos uh, when I used to do that. So um, – I don't think I, so what's my take on the coolants? Let's kind of roll back to the beginning of the question. I like, um, not necessarily 50, 50, but water, good deionized, deionized water with a little bit of coolant in it, you know, maybe 25% coolant if I think it's going to freeze. And then I add water wetter to it. And I've seen a three to five degree, um, drop and when i did that and it was actually tested using um uh, sensors in front of the radiator and and 
uh, behind the radiator. So so before so I knew the temperature of the water coming out of the motor. I knew the temperature of the water going into the motor. And we were trying different coolants on it and doing a similar loop, uh, actually at about 6,000 feet elevation. Um, we were doing on 354 stroke, though, on a KTM 354 stroke. And we tried a lot of the different coolants in there. Um, it was tough to actually do the to to do the um, what's the one that you have to the Evans is the one you had to flush everything out, and you have to you actually almost have to strip the system. You have to, they have a they have a flush that you use. But anyways, we did all that stuff, and I didn't see that big of a uh, a big difference um, in in the 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 temperature reduction. Uh, just in the in how well it cooled, what made a big difference there was bigger radiators or a different impeller. But it's all part of a system because once the bike got to a certain temperature, um, it didn't. It if if you only changed one thing, it didn't matter. You had if you were going to change the impeller, then you had to change your radiators, go to a little bit bigger radiator, and or you know it it's it's kind of like i said it's kind of like a system and what some stuff would help the bike cool quicker but i didn't notice that with any of the coolants i just noticed that when when right away when we put the water wetter in it the bike ran everything stayed cooler uh and it it cooled a little bit quicker like the like when you you would go up a climb and it'd run up to a certain temperature so at the top of the hill the temperature would be like three to five degrees less and then before you got down to the bottom of the hill, it cools down and it would get down to wherever the kind of the, the we'll say the temperature it liked to maintain at. It got there a little bit quicker um, when I was using the stuff, a little bit more than just standard 50 50, but all the other stuff that we tried, um, it was all kind of about the same. I mean, it was like one, two, three degree, you know, three degrees maximum. It was only one that did something big. So, uh, and then, and then in the boil over testing that we did, uh, some of them, and I, I like I said, this was a long time ago. We I think we I think we did it we did it once at Dirt Rider, and we published a whole Doctor Dirt at the time about it with kind of all the results that we did. And then I did some stuff on my own afterwards because I learned some stuff that we didn't do properly during that test. So I went out and and redid some of the stuff. But um, it, it the, the 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 I think the Evans actually did wait longer till it started like spitting stuff out but once it started spitting stuff out it didn't stop i'm i think that's what the if i remember correctly like it when when it got it took longer it took it it held longer but once it started boiling essentially i think it boiled it away from the the parts that were really hot wherever that was and then it didn't want to do its job and then the heat spread um and then Here's the problem. I don't carry around Evans in my in my camelback or whatever. So I had nothing to put in there. And I've been on trail rides with other guys that have boiled out their special coolant. And it's like, oh, I got a whole pack of water here. And they're like, no, no, you can't put that in there. I can find water a lot of places, especially in your camelback for my bike when I boil it over. So um uh, <laughs> hopefully that answers that question. Uh I'm sorry about your your daughter's bike boiling over. Um, uh, not slipping the hell out of the clutch. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna 
say that that's generally where most of the heat comes from. If it's boiling over like that, I would really check to make sure that you don't have an air leak someplace, like in the head gasket, or you know something where it's pumping, it's uh it's pumping some of that cylinder pressure into the because uh, that'll heat it up. That'll heat it up real quick, and then it makes it boil over easy. And those the O rings on is O ring on those, yeah, O rings. Um, check those O rings out. So hopefully, uh, Brian, that solves your problem. Um, but uh, yeah, and especially with that heavy cap, it shouldn't it shouldn't be boiling like that. I think I have a one six on on mine. Uh, Victor asks, uh, do you rec- recommend pulling the ethanol via water bonding and then siphon? Uh, oh, like <laughs> so. Victor's asking, do I do I recommend pouring a whole bunch of water into my gas to flush out the ethanol? And then and then repouring it. And so there's some videos that went around the internet not too long ago that got pretty popular, like guys that were running these old Harleys that they couldn't have the ethanol in there for some reason or whatnot. But they're actually so they're pouring water into the gas because it saturates it, it sucks all the ethanol out of the gas and then it separates and then they pour out clear glass. Do I recommend doing that? No. No. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Just just uh, run the gas and keep, uh, keep some, um, you keep some fuel. If you're running the gas consistently, it's not a problem. It's when it sits for a while. It seems to be, it seems to be a problem. Most lately the manufacturers have been, you know, making sure that the fuel lines and things like that, the gaskets, I've even heard that some of the, some of the, uh, aftermarket manufacturers that make gasket replacement kits inside of carburetors have changed some of the formulations to help them last a little bit longer. So, um, okay. Uh, Christian listening from the road, uh, he's, he's, I'll pass you. I'm going to, I'm going to get that motorhome in 10th gear. I'll go flying right past you, Christian. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Joe from New York is watching. Hey Joe. Uh, good to see you. Joe's a, a, a student of ours from our riding schools and yeah, he's been racing. I saw where he finished. What did he, did he, Vegas Torino. Yeah, he finished Vegas Torino. I saw yeah, I saw a picture someplace. So um Steve Webb. Steve Webb is the McCooney carburetor guy. Uh is there an advantage of running silicone hoses over the stock rubber hoses? Steve, don't you know the answer to that question? Are <laughs> you oh, but wait, you're talking I hope you're talking about the the cooling, the radiator system, or not the fuel lines, right? <laughs> Because <laughs> they turn into bubbles, right? The silicone. I, what's what's stronger? Yeah, I don't know. I think there's an advantage if you're a silicone dealer. Silicone, yeah. Um, sta- I, I, I don't. I, I just failed. Just lost my second question. I don't know the answer, Steve. Can you answer that? Uh, we'll we'll catch uh, catch uh, back up there. Uh, what tech? What George asks, what temperature should I set the Trail Tech fan to come on? On. Uh on a 19 KTM 300 XCW. Uh that's a personal question, George. <laughs> no, it, it really depends on what you're doing, how much you want to hear it. Um I've set mine as low as 180 before, which means they're running almost all the time. Uh, and just because I know that, uh, I'm going to be abusing the bike and I want that fan to just be running the whole time. Uh, and then I've said it, I think stock, they come on at about 200 210 is, um, my recollection, but you know, you can set it kind of anywhere. Um, but uh, you don't, 
I mean, you don't really, you want the bike to be running around 200, you know, or you want the coolant to be kind of around 200. It seems 180 to 200 seems to be fine. So uh, if, if, and you can watch it on that little gauge, you can see where it's at. So however you have to tune it to kind of keep that temperature, um, that would probably be the, uh, the uh, best thing. Uh, silicone hoses do not like the, I saw something there. Silica, silicone, oh, Chris Real. They're, 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 now that he's an expert and you should listen to him. Silicone hose. I think, I think Steve was talking about the radiator because we were talking about radiator stuff earlier. So, um, hey, how do you like the, uh, the, the flasher in the back there? Uh, Gabe got on it and made some new, uh, made some new things. I see things zooming, zooming in my background here. Gives it, gives it some perspective. Yeah. So, uh, thanks to, Gabe for doing that. Got it. Came in here early today and kind of uh, um, fixed that up. Uh, Logan, what 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 else we got to talk about here? The fuel filters, throttle tubes, and oh, when we're talking about fuel, pull the pull the Google Tech filters over here. Yeah, hold those things up. So on DirtBikeTest.com right now, someplace like a row or two down, you can actually read about these Google Tech fuel filters. And so, um, and this actually kind of ties into some of the ethanol questions. stuff. this will not separate out ethanol, and if you have water in your fuel and you pour brand new ethanol gas in there, if you poured water into this t into this thing right here, I'd pour water in right now, and it won't go through here. It won't go through the filter. It'll hold it. But if I take ethanol fuel and then there's water, it's like a bag of water, and I take ethanol fuel and I pour it in here the water will magically disappear because the ethanol sucks it up. So um, if if you have clear gas or you're going to get bad gas or something, these things are great. And I don't know if you can see the top of this one. It's meant to fit inside of a KTM uh, gas tank, and they make them for other ones. This one is meant to slide onto the fuel nozzle when you're pouring it uh, gas in there. And if you are worried about getting dirt or contaminants or you're in a place where there's bad gas, these things will save you a lot of headaches and hassles and problems um and it's uh i've got you know oh this was in my husaberg and that thing you know because it's it is by far and away like quite possibly the 570 i'm talking about now the most powerful one of the best bikes ever built um yeah and and you know since it is really powerful it does use a lot of gas and i put a lot of gas this was in that tank i put a lot of gas through this thing and i and um and uh, you can see it's a little bit brown or kind of, you know, you can see a little bit of sediment. It's actually more uh, like almost gray colored down at the bottom. So it's pulling stuff out of mostly good gas. But and then and then we also had some bad gas that kind of came around. And uh, I even had Mitch with that stuff. We remember that this the, the bad gas that what was it when we were doing the rally training. Somebody got bad gas. Oh, they all got bad gas in uh, down in Arizona. Uh -huh, yeah. Yeah, we had we had uh, uh, two bikes that were just running horrible, and so they drained the gas out into one of our cans, and then we filtered all the water, and there was a lot of water, and that was ethanol gas, yeah. and we still got a lot of water out of it and junk and sediment. So uh, if you want to learn about fuel filters, um, these are Google Tech ones. They're available through Best Best, Best Rest Products. Um, uh, highly recommended if you're going to be, if you're riding in places with sketchy gas, uh, and if you ever have to change the fuel filter out of the inside of your gas tank, which is a giant pain in the ass, and I know because I'm going to have to go do one here pretty soon on another bike that was I bought from somebody else who may or may not be in this room, 
Um, uh, <laughs> no, I was actually raised bike. The Conway bike that I bought. Uh, that one, the fuel filter, I, 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 I'm going to, actually, I got to talk about diagnosing problems. Yeah. I diagnose. I'll write that note right there. Um, but that would, and that would save you from ever probably having to, to, uh, if you were religious about that, or the putting, running the gas through that filter, you'd probably never have to clean the filter inside your tank. But then again, I've got probably a good 500 hours on a couple of bikes and I've not had to change the fuel filter inside the tank yet i'm just waiting for the the time and all it takes is one bad one bad load of gas and it happens so uh okay oh brian i use those google tech filters in saudi arabia brian i need to talk to you about saudi arabia (laughs) i need to uh i i want to i want you to compare some terrain in saudi arabia with terrain we have over here just for no particular reason um (laughs) Yeah, because of rally training, because I'm training some guys, and we, we're looking to do some stuff. Um, you'd be amazed at how much crap they filtered. They can fill quickly. Uh, yeah, they can't fill quickly. No good for a race, but definitely work. Brian, you're mirroring the uh, words that we put in our test. So, uh, good. And George did his job. He's on on point. He actually put the link up in the form. Uh, and Chris is coming back. Silicone hoses for water are good. Just watch the barb and the fitting. They sometimes slide off using a dab of gasset cinch to hold them on. Because yeah, they're slippery, right? Silicone slippery. Yes. Uh, I got that answer right. <laughs> uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, I think the the filters, the Google Tech filters are pretty popular um, with... Uh, with the guys that are getting bad gas. And I, like I said, I've seen it work. Um, and it goes, and then I know I, one other, one other guy asked me a question and I'm going to go into that one. Cause he asked about, um, where is it? You're supposed to read this and tell me which one. Oh yeah. Is this the one here? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Steven Walker asked, good evening, having fun, changing out all the plastic fuel filters on our Coyote Trail Adventure KTMs, putting in Wix 33095 steel filters and nitro mousses. I don't know why you'd put the nitro mousses in the the gas tank, but um, (laughs) I don't want to get stuck in the trail with a blowout on the fuel filters or a flat. Okay, I get it. We're talking about tires and gas tanks there. Um, My, uh, my, teacher that i didn't pay attention to in school um that told me to try to separate the thoughts and try to keep them into you know separate things remember you're learning that right now right yeah. what are you learning but you're learning suspense yes he had me he had me kind of like suspense when i when i was thinking about putting the nitro mousse inside the gas tank um so uh i um so have do those filters blow up inside the gas tanks i haven't heard of that before I don't think that KTM would spec a filter or any manufacturer would spec a filter that actually pop or explode inside the gas tank. But, oh, they crack from, from the ethanol in the gas, I suspect. No, it's too, the, much, pre- too, too much tension on the, on the fittings. Yeah. Okay. I haven't had that happen yet. I've got like, how many, seven or eight of them? So, um, but maybe they fixed that before I got to them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Google Tech filter, Stephen. That might help you out. Okay, we're done with that sheet of paper. We're finished with that one. Uh, I'd also like to talk about, let's talk about that throttle tube, the ZRT throttle tube. 
I meant to talk about this last week and the week before. Open that thing up and see what it is. You know what ZRT stands for? Logan, that was you? No. Logan? Well, you can read the box. Pull it out. It's zero resistance throttle. Okay, you just missed that question. There, you're. So what this is, um, and uh, it's a uh, guy back east. He's a friend of Jerry Bernardo's, and so part of the uh, Fox family. Uh, and so you see what Logan's holding up here. What he's holding up is a billet um, throttle tube and this bar insert with a bearing on the end of it. And it's ba basically made so that your throttle tube won't be dragging on your handlebar. And I've had this for a while now, and the only reason I haven't put it on one of my bikes is there's actually two reasons. Number one is um, I have to cut the bar down. So in order to put it on, because you're going to add this bearing on the end, it would make the, the throttle side stick out a little bit more. So you have to kind of cut the bar down a little bit on one side. And uh, so I haven't actually found the bike that I wanted to cut the bar down on because I usually run wraparound handguards and they make a setup where you can put the wraparounds on also. But the other reason is because I know how good these things work. And I've ridden uh, a fair number of factory bikes and one thing you'll notice is when you ride someone's factory bike or a factory bike that's been well set up is how nice everything is. Everything's straight. Nothing's bent. You know, the stickers are even on straight, which is kind of strange for me. But the levers don't have any free play. And if you've ever walked up and turned the throttle on a really good bike, you go, wow, that is nice and smooth. And they do these kind of things. Um, I remember factory Hondas like back in the... I got to ride some in the early 90s. And uh, actually, I rode Jean-Michel Bale's CR500, and Brian Lunas was the mechanic, and he literally told me he would kill me if the end of the handlebar touched the ground because he said he had to spend so much time putting that thing together, um, and most of it was spent up on the handlebars because Bale liked... He actually had to cut grips in half and bond two grips together because he was that picky about stuff. But like the throttle pull on those on bikes like that, on factory bikes, there's no resistance and no grip. And this is one of the ways to do it. So if you're uh, searching around for something like this, it's called a zero resistance throttle. And um, I'm going to probably, you know, since I love my Husaberg so much um, and I like turning the throttle on it because it makes more power than your motorcycle for sure. Uh That'd be, probably be a good bike to cut the bars and throw that thing on, because then then I have no reason for not being wide open. Yeah, well, it has a it has a yeah a bearing yeah both sides. So the whole throttle tube is riding on on bearings, and uh, I mean just that's high level. That's super super nice stuff. Yeah, and it has little Teflon sleeves that go where the where the 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 throttle slides inside the housing and everything. So really nice, but if you crash and bend it, you know, actually it'll, it'll stand up to abuse. You know how when you crash and you, you break your plastic throttle housing and it's like there's some, there's like you got cruise control or something's dragging. Well, that won't happen, uh, but you probably have to smack it pretty hard to bend it and cause it is actually to cause damage because it's pretty well, yeah, pretty well built, but uh, nice. Okay. Um, yeah. So just put that aside. Don't steal that, Logan. That's yeah, going on my Husaberg. Yeah. Uh, let's roll back into the questions over here. 
Um, okay. Uh, Carol says hi, by the way. <laughs> Eric Hermstead, how do I decide what size tire to run? Is bigger better? I have a Husky FC three, FE350. You may have heard of those. Mm, no, I, I know Husaberg used to make a 350, and KTM makes a lot of them. But that other brand, not really. Um, so maybe not. I ride a variety of trains in Southern California. So, Eric, how do I decide what tire to run? Um, mm, it, de it depends largely on the tire. So uh, based on the grip and stuff. And then so certain there's certain aspects of a tire um that i like for bump compliance and then there's a certain aspects of it for traction and then you kind of just you're kind of bouncing uh back and forth trying to find you know like a, a happy medium i tended to and i've always done this even in my 125s and i was desert racing 125s i ran bigger tires on the bike uh because i felt like i got better traction and i didn't necessarily feel like um the bigger tire was slowing me down or causing me like a um a deficit or was it any sort of a it wasn't a disadvantage because i looked at it kind of like a little bit like a flywheel sometimes and i also would pay attention i don't like skidding i'm not a skid spin guy i like kind of like more like traction and would like to keep the tire moving so if you're if you're so I think if I were to break it down, I would say that if you're kind of like a skidding, you're locking up the bike and then spinning, you know, you, you want that tire to be spinning and you like riding like that, then a smaller tire, a, sm a little smaller diameter, um, maybe a little higher pressure uh, can go your way. Uh, but if you, you know, the bigger tire, sometimes you can run a little bit lower pressure and get even more traction. Um, but on my 350s, I'm running... I run the Kenda Parker DT most of the time. That's an excellent tire for Southern California. And I'm running the 12080. Uh, wait, 110100? What size do I run? There's <laughs> just a bunch of numbers swirling around in my head right now. Those two brain cells, they just, they just started colliding. And you think it's the tequila that causes those problems. Uh-uh. Um, 12080. I think 18 is what I'm running in the rear most of the time. 110, 100, 100, 100. I'm going to make somebody run outside and go look at my bike. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the garage is all locked up. You can't see them. I don't remember. I'm running the bigger of them. Not, not a 140. I think it's a 120, 80. I'm guessing, but uh, that's numbers rolling through my head. They don't last very long. Uh, so, um, yeah, I know about that. I know exactly what tire I'm running, exactly as much as um, the brand you're riding. Let's see, bad fuel. Okay, Chris Real has come back in with the fuel fact. Bad fuel is a fact of life. Trust me, fuel filtering is important. You can filter water and mud and gas with parts from AutoZone in, deep, AutoZono in deepest Mexico. So... Or you just carry the Google Tech, have the Google Tech stuck in your uh, gas tank. Um, seen uh, Stephen Walker seen lots of issues with fuel filter splitting. Okay, yeah, a couple people in here have too. I I haven't, but uh, I've actually so how many? I've probably replaced two or or three different fuel filters inside the tank, and I've just done it with the stock plastic filters. So 
Uh, I haven't had that issue yet. So I'm sure when I do, then I'll complain. Uh, George um, posted up the ZR throttle uh, link. Awesome, George. Thanks again. Logan, Heather says, how is Silent Logan doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Are you mad at Heather for saying that? No. No? (laughs) But you're taking it all in, right? Yeah. Okay, here's here's the... Here's the question I wanted you to answer. I don't you, um, which one of these questions did I want you to answer? Maybe it was that other one. Uh, okay. Yeah, why don't you start with this one here? Read that one off. This may be a long shot. The whole thing? Well, just get started and we'll, I'll cut in. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to let you talk too much. Kidding? <laughs> This may be a long shot with hearing back from you, but thought I would give it a shot. I just watched your video about the JD Tuner, which is the best one I could find. Thanks for the info. I have a 2019 500 EXCF and live in Santa Barbara, California. I'm heading headed out this week for a five-day, 800-mile ride in Utah. And it will be my first real high-elevation ride Okay. A- okay, so he's... I got, I'll keep answering. You just you get ready to keep going there. It was a long shot that I would answer your question. I mean, this is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. That's what we do, okay? So uh, glad you're riding a 500 EXC. That's a KTM, by the way. Um, those are the orange ones. I made mine white, but it's still a KTM. Uh, okay, keep going. Uh, I have a JD tuner installed with a with the FMF pipe, reeds removed, etc. And it's on the open exhaust setting recommended in the manual. It seems to run really good here locally at zero, zero about 5,000 feet. Yeah, zero to 5,000 feet, okay. Uh, on our trip, we will be riding at 6,000 to 12,000 feet, and I'm thinking it could be a little rich up there, or should it self-adjust enough to be good at those elevations? Okay, uh, and then he asks, is there a good rule of thumb or recommended setting I can change to if it starts to get a little weird? So uh, just on the on the tuner... And any tuner that you install that that basically uh, interrupts the signal that's going to the fuel injection nozzle, that tuner um, has nothing to do with the compensation that the bike's doing. It's kind of completely separate. So whatever that tuner does, it's independent of what the the gauges on the bike are telling the bike to do. That's the kind of the purpose of it. It kind of it kind of cheats the system. So your bike will adjust for altitude and temperature, uh, which is air pressure and air temperature, uh, on its own. It has nothing to do with the JD tuner. And so it would do that whether you are riding in Santa Barbara or you're riding up in Colorado. It will figure it out. And that's something that the manufacturer programs those parameters into. And so it's not the not the tuner doing it. So if 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 
in generally whatever setting, if it works good wherever you're at, it's probably going to work good wherever you're going. That's just like your car does. You know, you don't really it it'll lose power because of course you're going up, there's less oxygen and it's leaning the bike out. So it's putting less fuel in there. But the good thing about that is if you don't like the way that it self adjusts, you can override it just like you did at sea level. You've override, you know, you've overrided the standard setting and you can adjust it a little bit. So if it does start feeling rich for some reason, uh, you can change that. You can lean it out a little bit. Um, I don't don't on any of the bikes that I have that tuner on. I do not change it um, when I go up in altitude. I've never had to change it. It seems like it stays the same and the feel stays the same when I change in altitude. But what I have noticed is that when the temperature makes a drastic change, like if I'm riding around, it's 100 degrees one day and then all of a sudden it's 40 degrees the next day. I will change my setting a little bit, um, especially on, um, well, it kind of depends on the bike. Hondas like the, uh, the pump squirt adjusted or the transients adjusted and the KTMs tend to like the, the three isolated ranges, the, the, the green, the yellow and the red, um, adjusted a little bit based on temperature. And it's, it's just, it's more of a feel thing. Um, you know, kind of how I want the, the throttle response to me, but it's so simple to change. You know, you just, it's like you're just pushing buttons. Um, as long as you know where your setting was, it's really easy to change it, ride it for a minute or two and go, ah, that was better. And, and you can actually, you can actually set it into the different ranges and it waits about 10 seconds before it goes back, you know, before it clicks back into the non-adjusting mode. And every time, you know, you can adjust it. And as long as you shut the throttle down and open it back up, it, you know, you, you will feel the adjustment, um, you know, that you've made. So you can make big changes and see if it makes a difference and decide if that's the direction you want to go. So I always say, don't be afraid to, afraid to play with that stuff. I mean, even if they send you a recommended setting, I mean, maybe your, um, you know, pipe generally they do, they do pretty good with the recommended settings, but maybe your pipe is a little bit different than, than the one that they tested with when they did their setting or, you know, the fact that you have the reeds in or out could make a big difference. There's lots of, uh, lots of different stuff. So, uh, don't be afraid of that. And where do we, um, let's see, maybe, uh, so he was asking kind of the changes. That's why I kind of got into it. You know, don't be like, you're going to be hard pressed to feel like, you know, uh, what we'll call a half, you know, there's six different things. You'd be hard pressed to feel like a half, but maybe like a, a whole one number jump. Um, you would probably notice that. Uh, but don't, uh, again, don't be afraid to, uh, do that thing. Um, I like this part. How's this part? What did, what did he say here? Uh, what's that? Read that part right there. I'm just going to oh. start patting myself on the back right now. Yep. Yeah. I know you spend a lot of time tweaking on these things and are one of the best writers in the world. Oh yeah. A hero of mine since back in the day. <laughs> so and and he puts that in there and he doesn't think I'm gonna answer that question or read it on the air. Are you kidding me? That's a that's a straight way to the front of the line there. So thank you, Justin Carter. Um let's see. Uh yeah, thanks for appreciating our informative videos and uh watching us every once in a while. Uh now I've pissed my wife off, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, George says, looks like the one twenty one hundred in the DBT test photos. Man, George is on it today. How can you see that with the blurry screen? Did you wipe your screen off, George? 
So, uh, or did our did our connection get better? Or does Jim not have good Wi-Fi's at his house? I'm not really sure. Uh, hey, there's Kate. Kate, Kate, do you see the thing up on the board, Kate? Uh, that's the Kate's Bars. They're an official sponsor of uh, Jimmy Lewis Off-Road Training and Dirt Bike Test. Because when I'm lazy and I don't uh, buy breakfast uh, foods, I go straight to the Kate's Bar. There's always a Kate's Bar in my... Uh, my uh, packs, my backpacks and stuff like that. In fact, I had one for, uh, I'll call it brunch today. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Kate, for supporting. Uh, hopefully I'll see you up at the KTM Adventure Rider Rally. Um, and uh, my wife says I'm good. <laughs> yep, I am really good. <laughs> Just like that guy said. Uh, okay. Um, we've got to go to this question here. Where's the, where was the, this Jimmy, I ride a WR450 everywhere. Continue. Mo Mohab to MNTS? That's mountains. Okay. Mountains and everywhere in between. Hard Enduro guys run low PSI with a tubeless? Tubeless system. Tubeless. That's a, yep, that's a, tubeless is a, it's the, it's like a, basically it's a, a really high pressure inner tube that squeezes your tire and seals the air so it makes it run like a tubeless tire. Mm -hmm. Uh desert riders run moose bibs. Bib moose, yes. Old school guys just run twelve through fourteen PSI with their heavy duty tubes. You're being very generalistic with your assumptions there, uh what was his name? Uh do we didn't get his oh Curtis. Yeah, very because there's 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 some people that, you know, crisscross, they stay they, they do some different things. Okay, keep going. It seems like you run anything between below 10 PSI with tubes, you're going to get a pinch flat. Are the benefits of low PSI really worth it? Have you ever tested tube saddles? Yes. Do you trust tubeless at high speeds? Yes. If you were to ride light dual sport, what is a good all-around combo? Uh, so light dual sport, um, that's probably, that's probably what I do is light dual sport. That kind of, that would be my, cause I'm not really an adventure rider as I, I, I don't have an Instagram account with 20,000 photos of me in adventure predicaments. Um, so I'm not an adventure rider. I'm light dual sport rider. I, I have, <laughs> I have been going to, um, so I, I run, I have a lot of bikes with tubeless uh, not well, actually, I, I kind of inherited those Bob. Um, and there, some of them were gen one tubeless, which gave that system a very bad reputation. Uh, gen two or gen three or whatever they're on now is much, much better. Um, then I also run quite a bit of nitro mooses and I've run all the different kinds of mooses, uh, Michelin's for a while when I was a uh, racing rally. And then every once in a while I get some of the, uh, take take off from my uh my guys that are doing rally testing and i love it when they're doing moose testing because then there's some really good mooses laying around uh and but i've been running the tubeless uh the uh the nitro mooses uh quite a bit lately and then of course i've run tubes forever and even when the the, the moose thing was kind of getting popular i stuck with tubes quite a bit longer just because I never had any quote failures from tubes when they're properly set up. And so you mentioned a couple interesting things here. Uh, 
you mentioned uh, the hard and drill guys running low PSI with tubeless systems. Let you know a secret. Most of the hard and drill guys run very, very soft mooses. In fact, depending on their, their sponsor, whatever they do, some of them have drilled out mooses or they actually have holes in them. Some of them get extremely soft mooses or they, they train on a moose until it gets to the right thing. Then they save that one for the race that they want to use and they're running mooses because they just don't want to have any failures and they've tested enough to know how long that moose will last and when there'll be a failure. Um, so I think, I think amateur hardened duro guys, I think a lot of them have been trying the, the two, the tubeless type systems. I think that's going a little bit out of favor because when you start running really low pressure in, uh, in the, the, and I think it was a little uh, kind of a misconception because they're running soft tires, like soft gummy tires that tend to have soft sidewalls. And with tubeless systems, it starts tearing and twisting on the sidewalls. And those things get really flat and the sidewalls don't have a lot of integrity and they get pinches in the sidewalls. So like rocks going through the sidewall or, you know, smashing into it. So they're tearing the sidewalls and or the tire twists enough on the rim where it has, it can actually leak a little bit of air out and slowly leaks out a little bit more air, or you impact the center center tube enough to where you can have a failure there. And and in dual sport riding, and I guess it's my quote light dual sport riding, I've had the tubeless system um, at high speeds slowly lose its air, uh, like on really like going ninety miles an hour down a washboarded road. Uh, after twenty miles, all of a sudden I've got a flat tire. And there's no evidence of anything doing it. And I think it's the bumps and just the, the air kind of hissing out somehow. It's twisting. But when I run tubeless systems, I like to run a heavy-duty tire. So I run like the Kenda Parker or like a like a uh, Dunlop, like the AT81, a stiff sidewall tire at like a low pressure around 8 or 10 PSI. Uh, with the tubeless system, and that seems to work a lot better than running a soft sidewall tire like a Kenna Equilibrium or some of the extreme enduro tires. Uh, the the just sidewalls just don't hold up to it. So when you're doing tubeless, um, run a hard tire. It really it really works because you can run the low pressure, but then the the bike starts wallowing around. And it's, there's all these different handling aspects that come into these different systems you've talked about. Uh, with the tube, I pretty much run 11 or 12 PSI. Um, you know, maybe up to 14 is about the max that I ever go, but I don't like smashing into rocks, and I do not get pinch flats. Primarily, primarily because I do not smash into rocks. Okay, I don't dent rims that often. Although you go look at my bikes and you'd think differently, but that's because I loan them out to kids that are like Logan when they're about. 16 years old and then they want to show me how fast they are and then all of a sudden my rim has a smiley in it not me um but uh so so number one is the pinch flats occur from smashing into stuff that you shouldn't be hitting um which you know okay uh then you should run higher psi uh, i would say go around it um but anyways the the other the other thing is improper tube installation is probably the number one cause of pinch flats like eight out of ten pinch flats that i see it happens at the rim lock because the tube was installed under the rim lock or it happens where the tube was installed underneath the bead of the tire eight out of ten that i've seen on the trail i'm not kidding front or rear doesn't matter it seems like it's very rarely 
a quote pinch. And by pinch, you mean you've, you've squeezed that tire and that rubber so hard that it, that it, that it pinched and caused the tube to rip or tear. Generally, there's something else in there. I also put baby powder, a fair amount of baby powder in my tubes, um, in the tire, in the tube when I assemble them and stuff. And I think that helps a little bit with this, but I don't have uh, that many issues with the pinching. The tube saddle. Yes, I've tested it. Uh, it's a very complicated way around a problem that I don't feel exists. As I've just said, I don't get that many pinch flats. The one thing that the tube saddle will do, it'll, it'll make it very difficult to install your tube underneath the bead of your tire. So in that sense, yes, it will eliminate the pinch flats, but that little bit of foam, that little extra bit of foam that it's doing, that it's cushioning around the tire, I don't think that that's, I mean, because you can take that foam and you can squeeze it with your, you know, you can squeeze it down with your fingers um, and and you can get it to where it's pretty hard. And at that point, I don't think it's that much softer than, quote, the smashing tire that's around it and the rubber that's all compressing. I mean, if it's going to pinch, I don't think that that's going to help. But man, was it compli complicated to get that tube installed because you have this extra thing that's in there. It doesn't let the tire seat down in the bead very easily. Um, and uh, they, they, it, in, and it makes it kind of easier to get your tube stuck underneath your rim lock. So just because it's, there's a lot of tension and tightness in there. Uh, so I have tested them. I'm not, not a fan. Uh, and I don't think that it's, it's the solution. Uh, the solution for you is, man, it was a long, long nitro mooses. <laughs> Go with moose. Yeah. Run the bib moose. Um, bib moose is a Michelin thing. Uh, nitro moose is, uh, a nitro moose thing. Uh, tubeless is the name of the company. Um, New tech, new tech. That's right. New. They have. They have. They brand everything so well. You. You know their product just based on the. Uh, the name. So yeah. Uh, and they have some brand new. Uh, what are they calling them? Uh, uh, platinum nitro mooses. I think they're. They're. They're instead of being a black color. I guess they're a silver color. They are sending me some. Um, actually, go look at Highland Cycles. I think uh, Morgan just mounted one up. I didn't get a chance to watch that video, but if you're on the. Facebook's follow Highland Cycles and watch Morgan. Hopefully he gets black moose goo all over him uh, when he does that. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so there's a, uh, there is that. So moose is your answer. Um, and I've, and the nitro mooses specifically, and, uh, and I've, I've had, you know, good luck with Michelin's when they're fresh, but you got to be careful when they've been sitting on a dealer's floor for six months because then they're not quote fresh the nitro moose is not so picky about this but i've run 80 and 90 and 100 miles i did a test where i went like i went like almost 30 minutes at 100 miles an hour i was wide open on a ktm 500 on a dry lake bed doing a big giant circle and tried to melt a nitro moose and was not successful so um uh it was hard on my bike <laughs> so uh anyways uh yeah run the moose that's the best thing and and on durability on those things i get usually i'll go through two to two and a half tires before i start feeling the integrity of the moose and don't go with the soft ones 
go with the go with the normal ones and for dual sport and you'll be fine the soft ones the bike tends to wallow around a little bit and i mean maybe if you're just doing extreme enduro i think that's okay but i'm kind of sticking i've got some soft ones that i've been trying to burn up for a while and now they need to just go on extreme enduro bikes so okay um let's see here got some other questions um question for logan if memory serves me last time jimmy talked about using more legs and less arms keeping better balance other than attending his school you got any specific tricks for that uh if you're able to pull one handle let's see how many how many words did you use that time if you're able to pull you did that in under 10 words <laughs> okay so what so explain it a little bit better more clear so if you're if you're balanced and you're doing everything right you can do what you can take your hand off the handlebar but we don't recommend doing that right no. but you should feel, feel like you can take your hand off the handlebar which you think about it um it means you're standing on your feet because if you if you're if you if you're if you're pushing on the handlebars and you take one hand off and you continue to push on the bars, the bike will turn and then you'll kind of like lose control and everything. So the idea is you feel like you take your hands off the handlebars is probably better than just one. Yeah. But, uh, uh, Dimitri, did he answer that question? You get to be the judge of that. If he doesn't, uh, he's, he's going to get, he's going to have to do push ups. That's what we could do. Push ups. Mm. <laughs> um, Heather asks, do the apps that control the tuners have have a return to base setting? Uh, so when your last two brain cells don't remember the last setting, <laughs> no, they don't have a return to setting. They stay wherever you set them. That's why you'll notice on all of my bikes, I have that that piece of uh, uh, that sticker on the forks with the settings <laughs> written on them. That's why I write down the settings on my suspension on bikes. I write them in pen on the on the frame or on the shock body because those two brain cells, yeah, they don't really uh, remember too much. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Dennis is telling Kate that they're good. Uh, good, yeah. Dennis has been here a few times. He's had those Kate's bars. Uh, Justin Bradley says tire balls. I think I think he's joking. I think, um, but no, there was a thing called tire balls and they, um, Scott Summers, uh, his dad actually invented them and he used those things successfully for a long time. And they were kind of, uh, they were having problems with mooses failing at the time. And that was their way to come back with it. I've heard of people putting tennis balls in their stinking tire. So, I mean, Hey, you just go on, go on YouTube and, and start watching, just Google any sort of, if you have a question for me, you should go Google the the question on YouTube or, uh, you know, let YouTube show you the answer. And it's just like me trying to be a contractor, like re remodeling a bathroom. Like there's 20 different ways to do everything. And about 19 of the people that have the time to put a video up on the Internet should not be able to do it. <laughs> and, and it's the, the task is in finding that one guy that hopefully you run into to me, I hope, that is giving you, you know, what, 90% good information, Logan? Uh, Unless it's tonight, then it's 80%. Yeah. So 80% of the good information you're getting tonight, unless you ask me questions about silicone or something, and then I have to refer to a petroleum engineer. But other than that, uh, 
what were we what were we talking about? Tire balls. Tire balls. Oh, somebody else. <laughs> tire balls. Oh, yeah. I th- I don't know if they're still around. Uh, and now people are joking because I said balls. Uh, <laughs> and George found it. Um, let's see. Tire balls are still around. I started running them. Love them so far. Man, I'm glad glad you like them. Uh, I know that they were difficult to install. Um, I remember there being and they were they they required a lot of lube and they were messy. And I didn't you know what do you do with all those balls when you're done with them? <laughs> so, uh, okay. What other notes do we have here to talk about Logan? How are we doing? We've got, we've gone for an hour already. Oh, I got to think, Hey, first of all, I got to thank uh, Jerry Bernardo, man. Jerry's been, uh, drumming up some, uh, new designs. Um, Jerry is the, uh, the, uh, fuck you racing. There's that shirt over there. You see that shirt over in the, it's kind of behind your microphone on the camera, but uh, he's been helping us with some of those logos you see uh, on the uh, the Dirt Bike Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. He took that awesome Husaberg logo and turned it into a Tech Talk logo for us, which was super cool. Turned it into a logo for them and for us. Uh, he used to paint helmets, and uh, there was a pretty cool video on the internet of, of some guy in some uh, you know third world country painting a helmet on top of a guy's shoulder. It was on his head and they, they put a little overspray tape on his shoulders and stuff like that. But he, the guy was sitting there and he was painting a helmet there and they sent it to Jerry and, uh, you had to see Jerry's reply. <laughs> Something about the fumes. Cause that's what Jerry used to do. Uh, hopefully my buddies, Marco and Mark are healing up. Uh, Marco, uh, tried to be a hoderman, unfortunately on a, on a UTV. It didn't work out. And, uh, I think Mark had lingering injuries from previous desert racing that he had fixed up. He had a picture of his cooler. We had his, his uh, soda in his cooler. And if you were, when I saw the picture, I said, oh, that's not a good cooler. It's the one they run the cooling stuff through. So you, when you're on your therapy, yeah, that they keep it, keep the swelling down. But uh, hopefully you guys get uh, better. And uh, we have Erica. Muxlow is helping us out with our website. Uh, she's at the Kawasaki intro riding the new Kawasaki KLX 300 and KLX 230. Uh, she's probably eating a really nice dinner with the Kawasaki folks uh, tonight. And in a week or two, we have Ryan Nitson who gets to go be a factory Honda off-road rider at the uh, Big Six Grand Prix uh, riding. I don't know if he's riding the 450 or the 250, the CRF 450RX or the CRF 250RX, um, but uh, we'll have some reports on that. I know it was a little slow on the websites this week. We didn't put a whole lot of stuff up there, and there's Jerry. He joined in just after I started saying bad things about him, all his uh, paint-sniffing times. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, and Victor wants to know if you were used tire balls and they overheat, do they turn blue and hard? Um no, they, they tended to get black and gooey. I've seen them before. Uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Yeah, Jerry's ears were burning, and they should have. <laughs> Unlike his nostrils and his throat in the paint-doing paint days. Uh, I think we answered all the questions. Um, with that, uh, if there's any last-minute questions, um, I can answer that. I saw someone give us a thumbs-up. See the thumbs-up go flying up there? That means we did a good job, Logan. You didn't increase your word count this week. You're kind of like a little quiet over there. Yeah. So what were you going to talk about? You had a you had a, you had a subject 
for this week? Oh, uh, me getting a RM125 yet last night. You got an RM125. So you have a YZ250, but evidently that's your dad's? Yes. Okay, so but so you're moving up off the mini bikes. Uh, not yet. Not yet. Well, it sounds like you are because you keep blowing them up. <laughs> so so uh, so RM125. What year is that? Uh, 2001. 2001. Uh, how old are you? Uh, born in 05, so 13. 13, and that means that bike's quite a bit older than you. <laughs> It's a Suzuki, too. Yeah. And you bought it from John. Mm-hmm. And that's Big John, who, you know, you've seen co-host on the show. Um, you think he's playing a joke on you? I don't know. Yeah, shrugging your shoulders doesn't work on the podcast, Logan. you got to talk yeah. into that microphone, buddy. <laughs> so uh, you think he's playing a joke on you? Is he, was he, was he, and you say this thing, you said, you earlier you said it was Cherry. It, it, it dad dad yeah. chimes in and says it's cherry. It's brand new. It's brand new. Low, low mileage. Did John race it? No, John never wrote it. John never wrote it. Oh, he just in some of his eBay he internet he does, training. Yeah, yeah got, got this thing. So you rode it down the street. Yes. And you didn't blow it up. No. And it ripped. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but you said it didn't have a lot of torque. Well, compared to the 85, yes, it did. Okay. And to the 250, it did not. Okay. And uh, so when, when are we going to go riding on this thing? Soon, I hope. I want to ride it. Can I ride it? Sure. I'll let that thing sing. Yeah. The RM125 was a good was a good 125. I, they, they like all Suzuki's. Maybe the 125 not as, as good as the, as the 250's, but, man, they turned good. And the, the, the RM125 always had just a really good, solid power band. And I remember, like, from when I was a kid, when I was your age, I was watching guys like Mark Barnett just kill it. I mean, he you know, like, when I think RM125, I think Mark Barnett, Moto X Fox boots. I remember I wanted those so bad. And and because uh, he was a Suzuki factory rider back then when they had, you know, 125 National Motocross, you know. Yeah. So, uh and then let's see, Damon Huffman was a was a RM125 guy. This guy I knew used to ride with Damon every once in a while. And man, Shane Trittler rode on the back of a YZ125 <laughs> on the back of Damon's YZ125 at the Vegas Supercross after he did a flip and landed on the back of Damon's bike. And that was an RM125 ride. Uh, Shane Trittler was a guy I used to test uh, dirt bike magazine with. So. Um, Anyways, with that, I got I got a, I got a couple more couple more stories here. We got we got questions still in here. Uh, gonna do this really good. Uh, Victor says thanks for the tech talk. So next week, uh, if well, if I'm back next week, next time Logan's on, Logan's gonna give us a report on how his uh, how his uh, 125 days are going. Okay. We're gonna find out why his, his super mini keeps blowing up. Does he just does he just twist does he twist the no, throttle does he, no. does he ride it like it's a this could not, not have been his fault not have been who built the motor you did yeah well you got to bring that stuff over here I missed something on this yeah. one. <laughs> let's see uh, let's see do you like the sprint enduro type events uh, think about yes I like the sprint it's kind of like it's like old ISD qualifiers I mean it's basically 
it's or six days kind of format. That's what sprint enduro is. Maybe a little more motocross than it was back in uh, my day. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I think it just makes it's just another form of racing that I think is pretty fun. And uh, let's see, you'd be best leaving for Breckenridge right after the show, or else I'm gonna yard you, okay, Christian. You you don't my 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 motorhome has a way bigger motor than your truck and it's got 10 speed. So you're the only the thing will just sing. Actually, you try to draft that thing. You might not even be able to hang on. So uh, <laughs> let's see. With that, I'll save the story about the red gobe hat for a later date. Uh, I want to thank uh, Cherbies and Kate's and what else is scrolling back up there? TM Design Works. They need to, they need to, we need to talk about uh, getting our, our sponsorship stuff all done here pretty soon. And, uh, getting past logan's bedtime so probably has to go do some homework what do you got singing practice or something a little later no no okay got it so with that we're going to take off uh thanks for joining in logan tell everybody bye bye we'll see you on the trail cheers, cheers.